and welcome to edition number 1881 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 16th of September. I'm Peter Bean, I edited this edition, and beside me at the recording controls is Rob Oxpring. Now, this week we've got items from Whitney, Woodstock, Chipping Norton, Blenheim, Chadlington, amongst others, about Whitney Feast, Afghan refugees in Oxfordshire, NHS Meals Pioneer, the Oxfordshire Pension Fund, and many more. Our two readers this evening are Alan Bailey and Alan Trelaw. So, Alan, let's start off with our first story, which is about Whitney Feast. Welcome back. Thank you, Peter. Hello, everybody. Taste of things to come as ancient fair makes return. Thousands of visitors headed to one of West Oxfordshire's most eagerly anticipated events as the Whitney Feasts return. Families were making up for the lost time as they flocked to the Lees for two days of fun at the fair, which was cancelled last year because of COVID-19. Emily Wilson of Bob Wilson's Fun Fairs, which has provided the rides for the past 70 years, said it felt like people welcomed us back. Visitors spoke of the town coming back to life, and Whitney Town Council expressed its great delight at the event's return. In a statement, the council said, A huge amount of work from both the fair organisers and the town council goes into making an event of this kind possible, and especially in a year where things still feel very tentative. Business leaders said they were very grateful that the grandfather of all the Whitney institutions had gone ahead this year. Richard Martin, a director of the Blanket Hall, one of the longest established institutions on the high street, said, oh, it's good to see people enjoying themselves at Whitney Feast again. But, he added, the Blanket Hall has been here for 300 years and survived some difficult times, but of course... The feast is grandfather of all the Whitney institutions and we salute its tenacity and its ability to adapt and prosper a lesson for us all. The historic celebrations, which feature one of the largest fun fairs in the country, was opened on Sunday night with St Mary's Church holding the traditional blessing at the Golden Gallopers Carousel. Hymns were played on the fairground organ while the service was held alongside golden horses and cockerels. Whitney Feast started in 1243, when Henry III granted two deer from the Royal Forest of Richwood to celebrate the rededication of St Mary's Church. The Reverend Canon Toby Rye said on Facebook, I've been walking around talking with the showmen and women and catching up on stories on what has been happening for them during Covid times. They have a strong and delightful link with our town and we are once again blessed to have a fair of this standard and size because of the friendship that exists between town and fair. Mrs Wilson said she hoped the feast would be as popular as ever, as this year the showman needed the support. Along with traditional rides such as the waltzer and dodgems, there was the wild mouse roller coaster and a family-friendly smaller version, the dragon coaster, plus white knuckle rides, star flyer, space, 
superstar extreme, jumping, jumping frops, dominator and stargate. Many rides were exclusive, were not at last week's St Giles Fair in Oxford. Whitney Feast was originally a fair for cattle, horses, pigs, cheese and general merchandise. By the 1870s, it included the large pleasure fair, which continues today. And there's a lovely photograph of the gallopers with the clergy mounted on it, and it's lit beautifully. Now, Anne, the councillor is setting up for refugee uh, wish lists, is that right? For the Afghan refugees. Hello, everyone. Oxfordshire County Council is considering setting up an Amazon wish list to help support Afghan refugees arriving in the county. The wish list would be established to enable county people to donate specific items to the refugees. A number of refugees are now living in temporary accommodation in the county, having previously been in COVID-19 quarantine after their escape from the Taliban takeover of their homeland. In future, there will be permanent homes for them in the UK, including some in Oxfordshire. The County Council said it was providing a wrap-around package of care for new arrivals with experts from social care and education involved. Councillor Liz Lefman, the leader of the council, said, As we've said before, the people of Oxfordshire have been incredibly generous in their response and many of the items they donated during August have been put to good use with the people who have arrived in our county. We are now at a stage where we don't need further donations of items. However, there may be occasions in future when we need very specific items to meet specific needs as families go through the very gradual process of adapting to their new surroundings. We thought an Amazon wish list would be an ideal way to get a message through to our kind-hearted residents if and when we need specific items quickly. As we've said before, we are very limited in the extent to which we can give a commentary on the process we are going through with the refugees because we don't want to reveal the locations of, at which they are being homed. They have been through a traumatic experience and they are now in an entirely new country. They will need to adjust and we need to give them the time, space and peace to do so. As councils, we have the same safeguarding responsibilities to these new residents that we have to people who are in the care of our adult and children's social care teams. However, in delivering that care to the refugees, there may be moments when the wider public can provide real assistance and that's where the wish list will come in very useful. The Amazon wish list would be activated should any needs arise and shared on the County Council's social media channels. Suspected gas leak sparks fears. 
A gas leak that closed Whitney Road sparked concerns about the proximity of the Apley Works to a housing development. Police at Burford Road at the top of Tower Hill and near the Smith's estate on September the 5th. The cause of the closure was a suspected gas leak, police said. The road closures were lifted shortly after 5pm with police taken to social media to say that the leak had been resolved. A flow gas spokesman said a minor leak occurred at our Apley Works facility on Burford Road causing a negligible discharge of liquefied petroleum gas. Leak was quickly detected, identified and resolved. As a precautionary step, surrounding roads were closed temporarily in line with planned safety protocols. Apley Works is built to the highest safety standards and roads were quickly reopened with minimal disturbance to the local community. He added that there was no evacuation of residents from their homes, but residents on social media reacted with black humour, referring to the fact that the nearby Kingfisher Meadows development is next to the flow gas plant. One said... It's okay. They reduce the number of houses near Flogas, so if it explodes, all will be well. West Oxfordshire District Council Planning Committee unanimously rejected the proposed by Gladman Homes to build a new estate in November 2014, with officers and councillors highlighting the proximity of the proposed estate to the Flogas works. It was called unacceptable in public safety terms by the Health and Safety Executive. Tony Gaskell from Flowgas Britain said up to 200 tonnes of liquefied petroleum gas was stored on site. He said 270 families moving next to it would have a significant impact on the risk of people being affected by a potential explosion. The firm took it to an appeal, but the application was defeated, mainly due to potential impact on the natural beauty of the Windrush Valley, but also because houses were deemed too close to the gas plant. A complaint group, the Windrush Valley Protection Group, fought the applications and 2,000 residents signed a petition. Their main objections were the impact on traffic congestion and infrastructure, the impact on the beauty of the Windrush Valley, but also the proximity of the homes to the gas plant. Campaigner Mark Hammond said, there's a very good reason the plant is situated at the bottom of the valley, away from everything. To build right next to it seems completely bonkers. The application to build the estate was finally approved in 2016, by then Secretary of State Sajid Javid. The estate is in the ward of District Councillor Andrew Coles, who said, I have been in touch with Oxfordshire Fire Services Incident Commander, who has briefed me on the incident. I thanked him for his quick response and for the skill and professionalism of his crews, and that of all the emergency services at the incident. A developer has been praised for the affordable homes it is building. The first phase of Blenheim Estate Homes Parkview Development in Woodstock are now available. 
Parkview will eventually have 150 affordable homes across all of the phases, with 11 of those being occupied this year. The figure represents half of the total number of properties being built and takes in both affordable rent homes at 40% below market rent and shared ownership homes. Marilyn Davies, Cabinet Member for Communities and Housing at West Oxfordshire District Council said, It is so important that as part of new housing developments, we build affordable homes that local people can afford to buy and continue to live in the district. This development alone means potentially 150 families can afford to make a home in West Oxfordshire, which is great news. That Blenheim has been able to achieve this at 60% of the market rent is remarkable. Roger File, Blenheim Property Director, said, Blenheim has an absolute commitment to provide high-quality, affordable properties for local people, which will enable young families to remain and work within the community. Developments like our site at Parkview are designed to address the long-term issue of lack of housing within West Oxfordshire and are part of our goal to build 300 truly affordable homes by 2027. Affordable rental properties are typically let at a 20% discount to market rent, but together with WODC, Blenheim Estate Homes has devised a model that enables discounts up to 40% of the market. Blenheim Estate Homes is in planning stages for a major new substantial community at Hillrise. If the project is approved, it will become the UK's largest rural development of homes built to Pasley Law Standard, 50% of which will be affordable. Rude gestures and support a star tackles rumour mill. TV star Jeremy Clarkson got an angry reception from village neighbours and complained of getting the finger as he heard complaints about the impact of his diddly squat farm shop on the community. Arriving at a meeting in the Memorial Hall in Chadlington near Chippy Norton, Mr Clarkson was quizzed on his plans for the farm, which features in the hit Amazon Prime television series Clarkson's Farm. The former Top Gear presenter revealed he planned to convert his lambing shed into a cheap restaurant. He added that it would be cheaper than nearby restaurants, meaning people would pay around £60 for a meal for two. Arriving at the meeting, he told reporters, I'm just here to listen. Gossip spreads in villages and they don't know what we're doing, so I thought the best thing I can do is come down and say, this is what we're doing, and then it isn't gossip anymore. He then added... Someone gave me the finger on the way in. Anticipating questions about the traffic chaos, the farm shop was caused since his show became a huge hit. He quipped, hey, listen, the villagers created a bit of a traffic jam tonight. 
The hour-long meeting was attended by about 40 residents of Chadlington, with Mr Clarkson requesting no press inside. Halfway through the meeting, Mr Clarkson questioned the presence of the Oxford Mail reporter and asked her to leave. But later there were reports of a heated clash with villagers. According to Mail Online, one local man is reported as saying, The thing is, Mr Clarkson, you're not a farmer, you are a media personality and farming to you is a sideline. But this is our village and we have to live with the consequences. Another villager reported, reported to Mr Clarkson that a farm shop have offered little to local people. I wonder how many people in this room have actually been up there, the presenter asked, to which one resident replied, Have you seen the queues? We couldn't get in if we wanted to. But other villagers were said to be supportive. One woman is reported as saying, As far as I'm concerned, he is doing a brilliant job. I've been in the village 56 years and I'll say this, those complaining that a bunch of... and the expletive has been deleted. Mr Clarkson told the meeting he had to diversify to make ends meet, competing against Australian imports and the ending of subsidies. One concerned local resident spoke of the frightening speeds his customers reached on the country lanes and asked if you would back a 20-mile-an-hour speed limit. Mr Clarkson is reported to have replied, In all consequence, I, I can't do, having spent much of my life complaining about such things. I can't be held responsible for what people do when they leave my shop. I already have a sign urging people to drive slowly. I will put up a bigger one. He is said to have added... We were overwhelmed by what happened after the show launched. We had no idea of the impact it would have. Now we can stop and think about how we can continue to employ 15 people on the farm and making it grow while not spoiling anyone's life in the village. Mr Clarkson is reported as saying as farmers were having to find alternative income post-Brexit, adding, some will go for glamping, some will go for stock car racing, We have to make the business pay. We have to sell everything on the farm, otherwise the farm goes out of business. Other people expressed worries that an expansion of his site would bring even more traffic to the area. Mr Clarkson was said to have replied, You have my complete sympathy. I'm just as keen as you are to try to manage the situation. I have people peeing on my drive. Look. I hope that now the school holidays are over and the pandemic is hopefully easing, there will be less. Community Travel Service shortlisted for a national award. A community transport group which supports isolated people has been shortlisted for a national award. West Oxfordshire Community Transport provides bus journeys across the district and has been named a finalist in the UK Social Enterprise Awards. The group provided 19,675 journeys in the last year and is a finalist in the Transformative Community Business category. 
WOCT Chair Margaret Burton said, This is really exciting news and we are absolutely delighted to have been shortlisted. To receive this recognition for all the commitment put in by our team of drivers and our operations team feels so rewarding. WOCT will join other shortlisted organisations at a ceremony at London's Guildhall in December. Peter Holbrook, Chief Executive of Social Enterprise UK, which runs the award, said, We have had a record number of applications this year, all of which have showcased the strength, dynamism and resilience of the social enterprise community through what has been an incredibly difficult and uncertain period. Over the course of the pandemic, Social enterprises have been going above and beyond the call of duty to support their teams. NHS Meals pioneer named Inspiration. Charity founder Ollie Coles, who has delivered more than 150,000 restaurant-quality dishes to NHS staff in 20 hospitals, has been recognised with another national award. Mr Coles from Chippy Norton set up the not-for-profit campaign Hospitality for Heroes at the height of the Covid crisis, with a mission to supply healthy meals prepared by local chefs to healthcare staff working long hours. The charity paired up with Sri Lankan restaurant The Coconut Tree in St Clemens, Oxford, visiting the John Radcliffe four times a week and delivering more than 100 free meals in hot boxes each time. Mr Coles, whose baby son Ozzy was treated at the JR, did some of the drop-offs. He also organised an online fundraising concert in May 2020, featuring Mel C., Clean Bandit, West Oxfordshire's Jack Savaretti and James Blunt, which was streamed on International Nurses' Day in hospitals across the country. Entrepreneur Mr Cole, who runs a digital marketing agency, set up Hospitality for Heroes in March 2020. He said the NHS was struggling to get good healthy meals, but at the same time, a lot of produce suppliers in the hospitality industry had fresh food to get rid of. So, I came up with the Hospitality for Heroes, where we buy fresh produce for hospitality suppliers, give them to chefs who are on furlough to prepare, and then they deliver the food to the hospitals. The charity also designed collated and published a recipe book called Recipes for Heroes, with some of the UK's top chefs earlier this year, with 100% from all sales going to purchasing fresh produce from local suppliers. The campaign has raised £250,000 to help keep hospitality alive, and this summer Mr Coles was awarded a British Empire Medal for service to the NHS and the hospitality industry during the pandemic. Since then, Mr Coles, that father to Melzi, a 15 and Archie 9, with wife Carly, became a father to Ozzy. Ozzy was born with a critical con- con- congenital heart defect, requiring two open heart surgeries in his first eight months. 
This prompted Mr. Coles to create Welba, an app that drives and tracks physical, mental and environmental well-being and features in in-app charitable giving. As the need to supply meals to the NHS was lessened, he said, well, I've shifted my focus to only work on projects that do good, whether that's raising money for charities in need or encouraging widespread positive well-being. He has now been placed on the Independence Happy List, which recognises 50 of the country's most inspirational individuals. Ambulance Medic issues sepsis alert. A South Central Ambulance Service clinician has urged people to familiarise themselves with the signs and symptoms of the life-threatening sepsis or blood poisoning. Mark Ainsworth-Smith, a consultant pre-hospital care practitioner, said anyone can potentially develop the condition which occurs when the immune system overreacts to an infection, including viral infections such as COVID-19. Those at higher risk of sepsis are aged over 75 or under a year old, as well as those who have experienced physical trauma, such as fractures. Symptoms can often feel like flu, gastroenteritis or a chest infection, but people can worsen very quickly. This can cause their blood pressure to fall and shock the body, which, if not treated immediately, can result in organ failure. The original Elf offers up quite interesting question book. The original Elf from the TV quiz show QI has written a book of 366 curious children's questions for every day of the year. Molly Oldfield from Little Chew was one of the first team of writers, researchers and comedians behind the hit BBC Two show, its books and podcasts. And she is the host of award-winning weekly podcast E-Everything Under the Sun, which puts questions from children all around the world to expert guests such as Neil Goldman, Emma Fraud, Grayson Perry, Richard Curtis and Sir Richard Branson. How much bamboo can a giant panda eat? Do aliens exist? What would we do if we didn't have a prime minister? Why do hammerhead sharks have such strange shaped heads? All our questions in the new book, Everything Under the Sun, based on the podcast, which has contributions from scientists, writers, conservationists, politicians and poets. Miss Oldfield, who is a four-year-old and a one-year-old, said... On the podcast, children send in their questions every week and I pick three or sometimes four and answer two or three. Next Thursday, Stephen Fry will be explaining why Greek and Roman gods have different names. The team from Penguin will be talking about how you make a children's book and Michael Morpurgo is going to answer why do all stories have problems? The podcast was went straight to number one on the Kids and Family of Apple podcast chart. 
when it launched in November 2018. She said, it's been entirely word of mouth, but it was a good lockdown resources because children got to hear each other's voices. And hopefully now people will look like the book. It's a big hardback book, which is beautifully illustrated with a question and answers for every day of the year. Miss Oldfield spent 12 years researching and writing questions for the BBC's QI, which she joined after meeting John Lloyd when they were at Oxford University. Mr Lloyd is a TV and radio comedy producer and writer behind Not the Nine O'Clock News, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Spitting Image, Blackadder and Radios for the Museum of Curiosity. Miss Oldfield said... They met in the Falkland Arms in Great Two when John Noy was living in the village. There are four of us, the, the, the two Johns and me and another woman, Sophie. QI is now pretty huge, but I, I left with John Mitchison and Stephen Fry, who was host behind Sandy Toxvig. Miss Oldfield said, in those pre-Wikipedia days, all the research for the show was done by reading books, visiting museums and going to tons of exhibitions. A day spent behind the scene at the Natural History Museum sparked the idea for her other children's books, The Secret Museum and Wonders of the World's Museum. She has also written Natural Wonders of the World. Miss Oldfield won't be drawn on which of the contributions to her favourite. Everybody interesting, she said. Council's pension fund cuts emissions level. A new report has revealed that in 2020, the Oxfordshire Pension Fund achieved the reduction in emissions, significantly beating its original target of 7.6%. Staff at all six main councils in the county and many other local organisations pay into the Oxfordshire Pension Fund. The target was based on the Paris Agreement, which aims to limit post-industrial global temperature rises to 1.5 C. Bob Johnston, chair of the Pensions Fund Committee, said there are many different arguments over the most effective climate investing strategy or policy, but the real proof is in the numbers. On that basis, Oxfordshire Pensions Fund has made an exceptionally strong start, far outperforming its interim target in the first report and putting it very much on track to deliver on the pledge to be Paris-aligned across all pension investments. The report is the first review since the fund adopted its climate change policy in 2020. Oxfordshire was not required to publish its first report until 2023, but believed transparency on its climate investing was too important to delay. The report also shows that the fund's exposure to fossil fuel reserves dropped by 30% over the year. There are an indicator of fossil fuel holdings and are an important factor in assessing the success of a climate transition investment strategy. 
On September the 10th, the Funds Committee voted to move the full value of its passive equity investments of £535 million to a new Paris-aligned benchmark fund. The fund will achieve an immediate reduction in emissions and fossil fuel reserves of 50% and deliver annual emissions reductions of at least 7%. It will also effectively exclude all investments in coal, oil and gas companies. A former bank building to become community hub. A former bank is set to be turned into a community hub in a renovation which could cost up to £4 million. A planning application for the former NatWest Inship in Norton has been approved by West Oxfordshire District Council, that's the WODC, with work pencilled in to start in January. The application was submitted by the Branch Trust, which is hoping to bring key services back into the town. Emma Kennedy, Chair of Trustees, said six-figure donations had been received to help fund the project. She said, We're creating a community hub for Chipping Norton. There's a lot of deprivation in Chipping Norton and we want you to access services. You have to travel to Whitney or Bamborough which is a huge barrier. We've been working with families, so that, that's why we've got the old NatWest building with space for other services to come in too. Having the NatWest building will allow us to expand and bring services back into Chipping Norton, and we're hoping that this can be used as a blueprint for other market towns. Although Mrs Kennedy could not reveal the identities of those who donated, she said it's going to cost between three and four million pounds to renovate and we've currently raised 1.75 million and that through grant applications and donations. The building project will hopefully start in January for completion and opening in Easter 2023. And she added, COVID has really opened people's eyes to problems, however it's easily masked in Chipping Norton as a land of the rich and famous. But during COVID, we've discovered what is needed in the community. Whilst there's immense wealth, there's also significant deprivation. A planning statement from the applications read, the building will be used by a number of different groups and for a number of different functions, many of which are currently not provided for within Chippy Norton. The groups using the spaces will include a variety of community outreach programmes assisting all parts of the community and their particular needs. The Banch Trust is in discussions with citizens' advice to extend its services in the town and with mind to reintroduce its town services. The former NatWest in Marketplace closed in 2018. Palace gets chance to shine again for Cinderella. Blenheim Palace has a leading role in Amazon Prime Video's new film Cinderella, which has been launched around the world this month. Both the interior and exterior of the palace are featured extensively in the musical. 
Written and directed by Kay Cannon, Cinderella stars pop star Camilla Cabello as the heroine, alongside Idina Menzel, Minnie Driver, Nicholas Galzadine, Billy Porter and Pierce Brosnan. The star-studded production is a musically-driven take on the traditional story. It is produced by Leo Perlman, James Corden, Jonathan Caden and Sharon McIntosh and executive produced by Louise Rosner and Josephine Rose. It is the second time the palace has been used as a setting for the Cinderella story. In 2015, Sir Kenneth Brannan used the estate's formal gardens and iconic Grand Bridge in the scenes for his film, which starred Lily James, Kate Blanchett and Helena Bollam Carter. As well as Cinderella, Blenheim has had a starring role in a host of other movie blockbusters, from Harry Potter and the BFG to James Bond. Gulliver's Travels and Mission Impossible. Now for this week's editor's reflection, I'm going to read a piece about something that happened on the 16th of September, that's this day, but back in 1942. On this day in 1942, a Wellington bomber crashed at Lower Farm in Milton under Witchwood. The Vickers Wellington had taken off from RAF Chipping Warden for a night navigation exercise. But at around 6.10am over the town of Conway in Carnarvonshire, the starboard engine failed. The pilot announced that he was going to make a precautionary landing at RAF Little Risington. However, the port engine then faltered too, and at 7.10am an aircraft came down at Lower Farm and burst into flames. Five of the crew perished. Meanwhile, 17-year-old Ron Dale had spotted the Wellington in trouble on the skies over the village. And hearing the plane plough into the ground, he ran to the wreck, vaulting fences along the way. When he arrived, he saw the 23-year-old tail gunner, Armstrong Leon, trapped in the burning aircraft, engulfed in flames. The teenager grabbed the airman by both arms and hauled him to safety. Realising that the flames were about to ignite the fuel tank, the sergeant shouted to Ron to flee from the plane, and as the pair raced away from the wreckage, the plane exploded. The two men then stood together in a ditch, smoking cigarettes, whilst waiting for the ambulance to arrive. Lion, missing a boot and trouser leg and with severe burns to his leg and face. Six weeks after the crash, Sergeant Lyon returned to Milton under Witchwood to thank Mr Dale for saving his life. But the teenager was out at work and Lyon never saw him again. And I carry on now. And now it's time for this week's notice board. There are no birthdays listed to celebrate in the coming week. But I've got a couple of announcements from the Oxford Association for the Blind. First of all, the OAB can provide information about the new technology that can help you get out and navigate safely. And if you want more information about this, then you want to ring Nathan on 01865 725 
595. And secondly from the OAB, if you want up-to-date information about the latest portable electronic magnifiers, then you can ring free phone 0800 145 6115 and they'll then send you a low vision catalogue. And, of course, you all should now have received our latest magazine. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Please let us have your comments and contributions to our two competitions. And now it's quiz time, isn't it? So, first of all, the answers to last week's quiz. I must admit that most of them I couldn't do. Um, and here we go. First question was, when did the second Severn Crossing, the Prince of Wales Bridge, open? Answer, 1996. You might know this one. Who has replaced John Humphreys as Quizmaster on BBC's Mastermind? Answer, Clive Myrie. Question three. You're wonderful if you got this one. What year was the food company Heinz established? <laughs> it wasn't 97 or 67 varieties. It's 1869. And I don't know the next one either. So, what is US President Joe Biden's middle name? And you'd never guess this one. It's Robinette, because it was his grandmother's maiden name. And finally, now this one I do know. Which London Underground line has the most stations? And the answer is the district line with 60 stations. Well now, this week's questions, hopefully, are fairly straightforward. Question one. In which city would you find the Bridge of Size? Question two. In bookmaker slang, how much does a monkey and a pony add up to? Question three. Which Scottish clan were the victims of the massacre of Glencoe? Question four. How many years marriage is celebrated in a pearl wedding? And I challenge anybody to get the next one. What is the occupation of a phenambulist? Yeah. It's a tightrope. Now it's time for this week's death announcements. And we're sad to announce the following deaths that were reported in this week's Gazette. On the 4th of September, Brian Michael Neville, aged 77... On the 6th of September, Irene Dorothy Strachan, aged 93. James, known as Jim, Constable, aged 98. And Betty Williams, aged 88. And our sincere condolences go to all friends and family of the deceased. Warehouses units bought for £26 million. Four warehouse units in Oxfordshire have been sold for £26 million. 
Units 1 to 4 at the industrial estate in Downs Road, Whitney, have been bought by Ropemaker Properties, the real estate arm of the BP Pension Fund. The units total 195,000 square feet and are part of the first phase of the seven warehouse and industrial building project. Sold by Tungsten Properties, 80% of those in the first phase have now been sold or let. David Mole, Development Director at Tungsten Properties, said, well, the recent lettings underpin the strength of the West Oxfordshire's market, in particular the discrepancy between demand and supply of new high-spec employment space. The speculative scheme has proved extremely successful, with 8% of Phase 1 being let or sold prior to the practical completion. The sale to Ropemaker Properties reflects the current high demand from investors for well-located, built and let buildings. We have strong interest for remaining units from fast-growing companies needing manufacturing and warehousing space in Oxfordshire. And we look forward to delivering Phase 2 to build further space to help boost jobs and the economy. The second phase of the building project is subject to a planning application which has been submitted to West Oxford District Council and is set to encompass 169,000 square feet across four buildings. Subject to approval, that will bring the whole project to a total of 490,000 square feet. Since the final planning statement was submitted to WODC on July the 6th, the application has been met with 111 objections, comments and to date. The objections centre around fears regarding noise and light pollution. Other units at the industrial estate have already been fully elect to Meech International, a manufacturer of compressed air technology, a confidential occupier and Certificin International, a distributor of swimming pool equipment. Utility room blaze sparked by tumble dryer. A faulty tumble dryer caused a blaze at a house in Longhamborough in an early hour incident. Crews from Whitney Kidlington fire stations were called to report a fire at a domestic property at 4.10am on Tuesday last week. They were faced with smoke coming from the back of the house, which was caused by a tumble dryer in the utility room of an attached garage. The fire was extinguished by a breathing apparatus crew using a hose reel jet and the rest of the building was checked for fire spread. The homeowners had been alerted to the fire by their smoke alarms and called 999. CM Glenn Lewis said, Fires in domestic appliances can happen at any time. We would like to remind everyone to only use them when at home whilst you are awake and not to leave them unattended. This was unfortunately in a part of the house away from the rest of the building and allowed the occupants to escape unharmed. A single mother pins her survival hopes on European therapy. A single mother of a six-year-old girl is asking for help to pay for last-chance cancer therapy. 
Charity worker Joanna Ainsley, 41, had a first brush with cancer while pregnant at 34 with daughter Willow. It was mistakenly diagnosed as a, as a fibroid that would go after birth, so it was never followed up. In 2018, she started to experience horrible symptoms and was then diagnosed with the silent killer, ovarian cancer, and told it was stage four. She said, It was a tough time, but I had a lovely family that helped me through. She underwent a massive operation to remove everything and endured 12 months of chemotherapy. She said, I was just shaking around the house, but we had the most beautiful lockdown with me and my daughter. We had a large back garden at the time, and it was our little world. It was the happiest four months of my life. Joanna, who lives in Whitney and holds senior positions in housing association, has been an organiser of Oxford's Cowley Road Carnival, started a form of tablet chemo seven weeks ago. It stops it getting crazy. It slows down the progression, but my numbers are not going to be the right direction, she said. Now she is pinning her hopes on two new experimental immunotherapies, dentritic cell therapy and GC-MAF therapy. Not available on the NHS, but can be accessed in clinics in Europe. She needs to raise at least £50,000 for treatment and aftercare. She said, it works for some people. It doesn't work for others, but the jury's out whether my current treatment is actually doing something, so it's re- really urgent that I get this treatment right now. If it works, I like to think I would be a pioneer for these treatments. Joanna and Willow, who attends Whitney Blake's school, said they have received amazing support from the school and Oxfordshire charities, Seesaw, which provides support for children, young people and their families when somebody close to them is terminally ill. The congregation at St Mary's Cogs has been also been like, like a little family, providing meals and babysitting. And Joanna said, Willow seems like a jolly little soul, but I think she's understanding now. She has suffered a lot with anxiety and, and, and that was awful. She helped me shave my hair and I let her pick out wigs and make her chief hat picker for Christmas. I built her a Barbie house and I I got her chemo Barbies for role play. I'm quite strong. I meditate and I pray. I walk the dog each day and I've got a lot of people I can talk to. I have moments when an awful guttural sound comes out. What I've realised is that you don't feel better after it's, it is so. It, it's best not to wallow. Without the experiment treatle, treatment, the alternative option, she believes, she has reached a dead end here in the UK as conventional chemotherapy is no longer an option. And she said, I really want to have this treatment. I really want to be here for my daughter. I've got to try. To support the appeal, see https forward slash forward slash uk.gf.me forward slash v 
forward slash C K T W Q forward slash Can You Help Give Me a Chance of Life? A fundraising festival is being organised in Whitney, and this is for September the 25th. Art Therapy Double Decker Bus is launched at City School. Charity at the Bus has launched its inaugural converted art therapy vehicle, which will tour Oxfordshire, providing mental well-being support to youngsters. The charity, which is based at the Sherwell School in Oxford, uses art as a therapy intervention to support children and young people who experience a variety of life challenges. The double-decker bus was provided by Oxford Bus Company in support of the charity. The charity then converted it at the bus depot. It means the charity will be able to provide key therapeutic services to children and young people in partnership with schools in Oxfordshire to enhance mental well-being, alleviate anxiety, develop resilience, self-esteem and independence. The bus was unveiled at the weekend at the school in Marston Ferry Road. The charity's three patrons are Artist Jenny Saville, actor Juliet Stevenson and designer Camille Wallala, who designed the exterior of the bus, were joined by its founder, Dr Julie Beatty and Oxford Bus Company Managing Director Phil Southerl, amongst other dignitaries. Dr Beatty at the bus said this is a much needed resource and we are looking forward to working with children across the county. The mental well-being of our young people is in crisis and at the bus will make a real difference to support their well-being and education. We are incredibly grateful to the generosity and charitable goodwill of the Oxford Bus Company who have gone above and beyond to help make this a reality. Paul Southerl, Oxford Bus Company Managing Director said, It is fantastic to see the bus out and about to facilitate the valuable work. The vision and the work at at the bus students' work in small... At the bus students work in small groups led by experienced facilitators trained in the BT method to create therapeutic interventions that support mental well-being. The double-decker offers a calm, safe space within a school site for students to access. It is hoped the service will expand nationwide in the future. The charity's website said young people are referred to at the bus for its wide range of different reasons, including low self-esteem, anxiety, depression, bereavement, trauma and loss. Some may be bullied or bullies. Some may have recently arrived in the country. Some may be withdrawn. Some may be disengaged from education, carefully planned Timetabled weekly sessions within the school hours are delivered. Discount Store gets ready to unveil Rebamp with Fun Day. 
Witness Pound Stretcher Store is celebrating its £750,000 refurbishment with a family fun day. Customers can win £200 of vouchers from the entertainer, toy shop and £200 will be given in Whitney Food Bank to celebrate the event. There will also be voucher giveaways on offer. The store was relaunched in August, having been remodelled to enhance the shopping experience. Pound Stretcher's resident entertainer, Ian G, said, We'll be having a fantastic family fun-filled day, so come on down for your chance to be the star of the show and take away some great prizes. The discount retailer is opening another 50 stores over the coming months, creating over 1,000 jobs. Marketing manager Lulu Rose said, We absolutely love putting on fun days for our customers at Poundstretcher. Our entertainer here is wonderful and always puts on a fantastic event. The best thing about our fun day is that everyone is welcome. Everyone can join in and it's all absolutely free to enjoy. Come and be, and be urged people. Come and be entertained. Established in 1981, Poundstretcher sells branded goods at big discounts, including groceries, toiletries, kitchenware, bedding, bathroom products, furniture and children's toys. The day starts at 10am on Saturday, September the 18th at Station Lane. Wildlife organisation Heartbreak as new badger culling sanctioned, more than 70,000 badgers could be killed as badger culling is to be extended into seven new areas of England this year, including Oxfordshire. Natural England has announced that it will issue new licences that would also allow the killing of badgers in Hampshire, Staffordshire, Worcestershire and two areas of Shropshire. The Burks, Books and Oxen Wildlife Trust, BBOWT Wildlife Organisation, is heartbroken and said that these licences would allow more than 7,000 badgers to be shot to help control the spread of bovine tuberculosis, TB. Julia Lofthouse, BBOWT Mammal Project Manager, said... As a trust, we are absolutely heartbroken by this news. Badgers are magnificent icons of the British countryside and the emblem of the Wildlife Trust and our government has allowed thousands of them to be needlessly slaughtered. We do sympathise with the plight of farmers and know the hardship that bovine TB causes, but culling badgers is not the answer. The government has seen no definite benefits from the seven years of industry-led culling of badgers in England. The science tells us the main route to bovine TB transmission is between cattle, not from wildlife such as badgers. Natural England has also authorised existing licence holders to resume culling in 33 existing areas this year allowing up to 75,930 badgers being killed. 
the government ran a public consultation asking for people's views on the pr proposal. With the support of the Wildlife Trust, more than 39,000 people responded to the government's consultation and 36,958 of those went to email their MPs urging the government to stop issuing badger cull licences immediately. However, despite the consultation, the government announced in May that it would issue licences this year and next year which will last for four years. BBOWT has predicted that by the end of the cull, 300,000 badgers out of an estimated population of 485,000 may have been culled. About 25% of the European badger population is found in the UK and the Wildlife Trust believe that the UK has an international responsibility to conserve them. The Wildlife Trusts are calling for more research into cattle, cattle vaccination and improved testing reg regimes for cattle. Since 2014, BBOWT has been running a successful badger vaccination programme. The results have proved there is much more, a much more humane way to tackle bovine TB that is at least 60 times cheaper than badger, killing badgers by culling. Comedian Rufus ready for good time in sitcom show. The comedian Rufus Hound is to star in a new stage adaptation of the sitcom The Good Life at the Oxford Playhouse. He will play Tom Good in the production which will be staged at the Beaumont Theatre venue this autumn. The production will also star former EastEnders actress Priya Kalidas, Law & Order star Dominic Rowan and Sally Tatum. Hound, a panel show regular and contestant in Dancing on Ice, tweeted, The Good Life Indeed. The original television series of The Good Life, which was created by John Esmond and Bob Larby, ran for four series on the BBC from 1975 to 1978. It followed Tom Good and his wife, Barbara, who converted their garden into a farm into a bid to become self-sufficient. Richard Bryce and Felicity Kendall played the lead roles in the programme. They played opposite Penelope Keith and Paul Eddington as their socially aspirational and stereotypical middle-class commuter-belt neighbours, Margot and Jerry Ledbetter. The stage adaptation will see Kalidas and Rowan playing the goods neighbours, Margot and Jerry. Tatum will play Barbara. The Good Life will open at the Theatre Royal Bath on October the 7th as well as Oxford, it was also taught to the Cheltenham Everyman, Salford Lowry, Cambridge Arts Theatre, Malvern Theatre, Richard Richmond Theatre and Chichester Festival Theatre. The adaptation has been written by Jeremy Sams. 
Well, that's all we've got time for. So please remove the memory stick from the Playwright unit, close the metal shield, and remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before you post it back to us. And could you please do so as soon as possible because we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. And remember, if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we'll telephone you. And just such a one was left by Rosemary Cullock from the paddocks at Milton under Witchwood. And we thank you very, very much for your very kind donation. Now, it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight. And thanks to our technical expert, Rob and to our copiers, Ian Rose and Mike Herbert, who are going to be copying the memory sticks, and to our volunteers who were checking the pouches and the memory sticks that you've returned and keeping records in our register. They were Lynn Harding and Shirley Rawlings. And finally, our two readers, Anne Trelaw and Anne and Alan Bailey. And I know everyone would like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition, goodbye! goodbye. NF Soundings. Features from across the UK. And now for a look at this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, August 28th, and some uplifting music as Moira Stewart presents works by Johann Strauss Jr., Gershwin, Mozart, Sibelius, Vivaldi, Vaughan Williams, and many others. Moira Stewart's Classic FM Hall of Fame concert from 4 till 7 on Classic FM. The Purple Pound is the subject of this week's bottom line. Is there a competitive business advantage in designing accessible goods and services for disabled people? A market valued at $249 billion a year. Tune in to Radio 4 at 5.30 to find out. The 1967 ITV programme The Prisoner was one of the most iconic television programmes ever made. At 6pm on Radio 4 Extra, you can listen to Nicholas Briggs' reimagining of the cult sci-fi drama. After quitting his post, secret agent ZM73 wakes up imprisoned in a bizarre village with a new identity. The current series of The Poet Laureate Has Gone to His Shed concludes at 7.15 on Radio 4 on Saturday with an interview in a barn. Not just any old barn, but one belonging to Prince Charles at his Welsh home in Landoffrey where His Royal Highness recalls conversations with a former Poet Laureate, Ted Hughes. And finally for Saturday, August 28th, Daisy Johnson's ghostly hotel stories, read by Juliet Stevenson, continue. As the hotel is set to close its doors forever, the owner finds that it still has a few more secrets. It's Radio 4 at 9.45pm. Sunday, August 29th, the reunion this week brings together some of the leading lights behind the revival of women's football in the UK, after it was banned in 1921 for almost 50 years. The Pioneers of Women's Football, 11am Radio 4. The drama at 3 o'clock on Radio 4 is Dangerous Liaisons, 
Cecil de Volange and lonely wife Lady Torvel both become prey in a struggle for seduction between immoral ex-lovers Madame de Mertiol and Count Vermont, all based on Laclos' 1782 novel. There's a chance to hear a live prom from London's Royal Albert Hall as Georgia Mann introduces the Canamason siblings and friends in a concert with appeal for families. Saint-Saëns' The Carnival of Animals is on Radio 3 at 7pm. In The Untold, Grace Dent's untold dramas of the 21st century, a loot maker struggles to make loots on her own after the death of her partner. Two Pairs of Hands is on at 9.30pm on Radio 4. And lastly for Sunday, August 29th, some slow radio. Nature Warden Dean Woodfin-Jones presents a nocturnal audio tour of Lundy, an island 12 miles off the coast of North Devon, now a haven for wildlife and home to just 20 people. Hear the raucous cackles of guillemots and cries of kittiwakes as the summer breeding season unfolds. A night on Lundy, 11.30pm on Radio 3. On to the programmes then that are broadcast each day at the same time, all week, on the same radio stations. A reminder that it is Paralympics time in Tokyo once again and you can get a daily update with Paralympic Breakfast on Radio 5 Live at 6am as the action unfolds in Japan. That's all week, Paralympic Breakfast, 6am, Radio 5 Live. Book of the Week is Sunshine and Laughter, Louis Barth's biography of everyone's favourites, Morecambe and Wise, charting their rise from touring variety shows in the 1930s to the height of their TV popularity. It's read by Penelope Keith at 9.45 each day on Radio 4. Composer of the Week is Josquin Desprez, born in 1450. He's been described as the Michelangelo of music, a master of polyphonic choral writing. And the Franco-Flemish area in which he was a dominant force also produced some great painters. Donald MacLeod visits the National Gallery in London to build a picture of Yoskin's music and the places in which he lived and worked that also stimulated painters to produce great art. Tune in, Radio 3, each day, all week, 12 noon. James Robertson's novel of secrets, comedy and tragedy in a Highland Glen, News of the Dead continues each day just after midday on Radio 4. It's 1809 and Gibbs' relations with Miss Jessie take an amorous turn. It's repeated each night, if you fancy that instead, as Book of Bedtime at 10.45pm. 1.45, Monday to Friday, Radio 4 comes 39 Ways to Save the Planet. Monday's programme is entitled Buy Less Stuff. A look at how demand for fast fashion led to the establishment of a clothes-sharing app to put unwanted clothes into new hands. Prime Minister's Props ponders the lives of famous politicians by focusing on one of the personal items they have. From Neville Chamberlain's umbrella, which came to define him as the defender of peace, and later an appeaser of Hitler, to Harold Wilson's pipe. 7.45, Radio 4, all week. And finally, an Agatha Christie 1933 Hercule Poirot whodunit involving upper-class marital problems entitled Lord Edgware Dies is broadcast each day, 8.30pm, on Radio 4 Extra. On to those 
individual programmes then for individual days for the rest of the week. And of course, Monday is a bank holiday. Bank holiday Monday, August the 30th. The drama on Radio 4 at 2.15 is the United Kingdom's. It's a five-part series, and each episode features short dramas, poetic monologues, and a narrative songs from around the country, from 50 writers and more than 100 performers. A couple listen out. A couple to listen out for today are Musselburgh, on whether taking to one's bed in fear and despair can be a liberating experience, and Tankerton, a poignant piece on what constitutes home if one feels like a total outsider. The last in the current series of The Very Funny Unbelievable Truth with David Mitchell is on at 6.30pm, Radio 4. Sally Phillips, Frankie Boyle, Lucy Porter and Neil Delamere try to smuggle the truth past their opponents. And the famed Battle of Thermopylae is two and a half thousand years old precisely. To celebrate this unique jubilee, comedian and classicist John Harvey separates myth from reality in the story of King Leonidas and the 300 Spartans who held out against the mighty Persian army, history's most famous heroic last stand. Happy 2500th to the brave 300 is at 8 o'clock on Radio 4. Tuesday, August 31st, last day of the month, last day of summer, some say. 2.15, drama on Radio 4, brief lives. Frank and Sarah come across a teenager who has been beaten up. This time, street crime may point towards something much more sinister. Great Lives at 4.30 on Radio 4 looks at Josiah Wedgwood, the master potter, who built a business empire in Stoke-on-Trent that made him world famous. Radio 3, 5 o'clock, a live BBC proms, a Glyndebourne opera production of Wagner's Tristan Undisolde from London's Royal Albert Hall. A story of longing and yearning of an unresolved and unresolvable love. London Philharmonic and an international cast mark 60 years of the company's appearances at the proms. There's a new series on Radio 4 at 6.30, The Birthday Cake Game. Comedy quiz in which Richard Osman, the host, yet him from Pointless, asks one simple question of his guests. Do they know how old people are? The prize is a birthday cake. Eight o'clock on Radio 4 comes after Merkel. Katia Adler asks what the impact of Angela Merkel's departure after 16 years of Chancellor will be on Germany and the EU. As it's Tuesday, 8.40pm, in touch with Peter White on Radio 4. And finally, between the ears, Tomorrow Never Knows at 10.15 on Radio 3. The Beatles album Revolver was released in August 66 and their music still casts a long shadow over the people of Liverpool. Hear from some of the people for whom the experiences of the 60s formed the basis of their lives, all played out to a Beatles soundtrack. Wednesday, September 1st, new month, and we start with More or Less, the programme that explains the numbers and statistics used in everyday life. Returning for a new series as well on Radio 4 at 9am. 11am on Radio 4 Extra, the master tapes guide to writing the perfect song. John Wilson coaxes some great stories out of Paul McCartney, Ray Davis, Don McLean and others as they discuss how their works came about. The 2.15 drama on Radio 4 is Tinsel Girl and the Pain Clinic, an uplifting comedy drama by Lou Ramsden about a wheelchair user. Normally Sparky Maz hits rock bottom and reluctantly checks herself into a pain clinic and then embarks upon an adventure as she transforms a ward of unhappy patients into a place of mischief and friendship. 
inspired by and starring Shirley Houston. The very funny My Teenage Diary with Rufus Hound tonight features comedy writer Deborah Francis White, who talks about growing up as a Jehovah's Witness and when she wasn't picked for the inter-school dance competition. 6.30pm, Radio 4. And Dublin-born Maureen O'Hara had a complex relationship with Hollywood. One of the biggest stars of the 40s and 50s, she came to resent being cast by her looks. In Queen of Technicolor at 10pm on Radio 3, Marie-Louise Muir explores how O'Hara fought against the men who controlled her life and spoke out against the casting couch culture. Thursday, September 2nd, in Citizens of Somewhere, John Harris visits Stoke-on-Trent, where almost 70% of the city's voters back to leave the EU, and its three parliamentary seats turn Conservative after decades of Labour rule. Tune in to Radio 4 at 9am. At 9.30, also on Radio 4, questions answered. Anita Anand meets Anthony, who called any answers twice, the second time after a dramatic change in his circumstances. The fourth test, England against India, starts at the Oval. You can hear live commentary on Radio 4 Longwave and Radio 5 Live Sports Extra from 10.25am. 2.15 on Radio 4 is drama, song and dance by Barney Norris. Anne and Pete have gone bird-watching with their friend Martin when he dies suddenly of a heart attack and his death forces them to confront their own feelings. There's a new series of Ramblings at 3 o'clock on Radio 4 with Claire Balding. She hikes across the Pentland Hills near Edinburgh with Hazel and Luke Robertson, mountain leaders and polar explorers, as they hope to see a view across the three bridges that span the Firth of Forth. At 7.30pm, tonight's BBC Prom on Radio 3 features classic 20th century British film scores, ahead of the 100th anniversary of the birth of composer Malcolm Arnold, who died in 2006. Listen to suites of his most popular scores, including Bridge of the River Kwai and The Bells of St Trinian's. So we come to Friday, September 3rd, another end to a week, 11.30am on Radio 4, the first part of a comic mystery series starring Bill Nighy, Simon Brett's Charles Paris, A Deadly Habit. When Charles is offered a job in a verbatim theatre piece set in a monastery, he isn't very enthusiastic, but at least it saves him from having to do any more DIY for Francis. Before too long, however, disaster strikes the production, and Charles is once again on the trail of a killer. More drama on Radio 4 at 2.15 with the second part of Jonathan Myerson's Nuremberg, based on court transcription archive material from 1945. The News Quiz returns for another series in the 6.30 comedy slot on Radio 4. And we round off the week of radio recommendations with the Classic FM concert with John Suchet. Highlights from the Edinburgh International Festival, which welcomes audiences back following last year's online-only festival. Beethoven's Symphony No. 1 in C, Saint-Saëns' Cello Concerto No. 1 in C minor, and Haydn's String Quartet in B minor is all from 8 o'clock on Classic FM. As ever, may I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. TNF Soundings